Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I am Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And with us to start the show today from the Washington Commander's defensive end, James Smith-Williams, who, if you're watching on YouTube, you just saw Logan literally give a round of applause. Round of applause. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's exciting, man. Illustrious guest is James Smith Williams. It's a big day for us. Oh, thank What's you. up, buddy? What's up, Craig? How you doing, man? I'm great. I'm excited to have you. Um, I've known James now pretty well um, through the nonprofit work that he does that we're going to talk about. Uh, Logan, you guys know each other quite well because you you help train James uh, sometimes. I mean, sometimes. James, how is sometimes. Logan as a trainer? Oh, he's great. He's the, uh, you know, I was surprised the amount of knowledge he had. It was, it was a pleasure. <laughs> First time we worked together, I was like, oh, okay, this guy actually knows a little something. Knows so a little something. I was don't, impressed. I'm don't tell impressed. people that, though. It's good to just kind of fly under the radar, you know what I mean? Well, then no one will ever come to you. I think that, you that, got- that is true. <laughs> Maybe that's a poor <laughs> business approach. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, what are you doing? Are you Is your schedule full? Just say that. You yeah. Create demand. That Great way, in demand. case, you know, if James is out of town, then there's a spot. You want someone else to fill that. That's, that's, how, right. that's how this Maybe training business works. I need to see like a business mentor or something. Someone to help me grow that, make that better. Yeah. You want yeah, to mark here, here's your tip number one. <laughs> Don't say you suck. <laughs> it's self-deprecating. People find it charming, right? Something like that. Yeah, that's why. Um, so what we're gonna we're gonna get into a couple of different things with James today. Uh, of course, talking Commanders football with him, um, but also uh, you've got a camp coming up on July fifteenth. Uh, is for seventh to twelfth graders, and you can sign up. We'll put the information in the episode link, or, uh, or we'll put the the link uh, to email to to sign up in the, uh, the episode description. Uh, we'll also, I think, flash it here on YouTube in the. Uh, in the graphics, you email info. It's at theexpectation.org to sign up. Uh, it's in the DMV. So if you're in the DMV, you want to get some really great coaching. Uh, James, I think some of your teammates are going to be there. I'm yeah. actually going to be there uh, with, with my guy, Chris Gores, trained with the best crew uh, representing. So we got we got all kinds of stuff. We got physical therapist who's going to be on hand, who I work with as well, Dr. Carly Hampton, who's phenomenal. Um, so it, it is uh, James Smith Williams Champions Camp, July 15th, starts at 9 a.m. Uh, definitely you want to come if you're a parent, uh, you got a, a kid in the area, uh, who, who wants to just become a better football player. And so James, I'll, I'll start with the camp. Like, why did you want to put this on and, and why is it important to you? And what, what makes this camp a little different from, uh, other football camps that might be out there? 
Yeah, so I mean, it was important for me because I've been in the DMV for going on four years now, and I feel like it's really embraced me as my second home and done a lot of work in the community. So if I had a chance to give back, I always will to this area. So that's why we chose the DMV as a place to host it. And then it's different because uh, there's an off-the-field component as well. Um, so you have the on-the-field football stuff we used to, the drills, the cone drills, um, movement prep, things like that. But also there's about an hour-and-a-half session um, inside that kind of just works on healthy manhood, uh, being a good man, what's that look like, and just kind of helping the really have a holistic approach with, with growing our youth here in the DMV. What motivated that? Why, why kind of this dual nature of the camp? I mean, a lot of guys just have their football camps where they're make, making better football players. Why was that important to you to kind of cultivate good young men? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head in your question. But um, for me, it's, it's just more more the football. I think football has been an amazing platform, but it's allowed me to do different things. So when I when I go and speak to the youth, I don't always talk about I will talk about football. because That's like my first level of engagement with them is what gets them to buy sure. in by one about more than just football only here about how to be a good man how to be a good teammate how to be a good person in your community I think that's end of the day much bigger than football how is the work you've done with set the expectation specifically shaped what your definition of a good man is oh I mean it's, it's defined it um, I think being in different rooms and speaking to different populations um, when you when you go to shelters and you go kind of see um, the people who are, are affected um, firsthand, it really changes how you view yourself. You understand that your worth isn't really defined in how you play football. It's more so defined in how you help those around you. So for background, for those that don't know, Set the Expectation uh, helps fight sexual and domestic violence by education geared towards men. You got involved in the organization uh, in college uh, after a presentation by founder Brenda Tracy. But wh wh what kind of work were you doing community-based or, or thinking about these topics, masculinity, whatever it may be, before Brenda walks into that room and, and fundamentally changes your life? Yeah, I mean, I was doing, I think, things that the kind of team had to sign up for. You know, we hand out gifts through Christmas. We hand out bikes at basketball games. Um, but when Brenda came and spoke, that's when things really, really changed. And I took on uh, that role more myself and took a less of a passive approach, more of an active approach going to seek, uh, seek out this issue and kind of approach it head on. Nice. And so for your camp, who uh, do you speak or is it like a, a representative from Set the Expectation? Like, how does that go? So I think we have three speakers, at least at least two, maybe a third. Um, I know Brenda will speak, uh, Kyle Richards will speak, and we might have a third one. I think we're working on, so I won't announce it here. Uh, <laughs> but I will be, I will be the on the field portion. Okay. Um, so I'll be working hands on with the youth. I'll have me a drill. I kind of float around. Um, so I'm really excited for that, and I will let the experts at speaking do their thing. <laughs> Um, I know also Brenda recently came to Washington to, to speak with the commanders. There's some great pictures and everything. I also know that you weren't able to actually be there that day because you had you had some things you had to take care of. But as you you got back to Ashburn and talked to your teammates, like what, what was the impression that was made um, for something that's touched your life so much when they got that same experience? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's actually pretty crazy because Brenda works a lot with colleges. Um, so she's spoken to, I think, maybe a dozen of the guys already. So they kind of already had an idea what she was going to talk about. But um, the men or the men in the room who saw her uh, spoke so highly about it. Um, the coaches pulled me aside and they're like, this is incredible. Like, this is, I mean, it really gave me a different perspective. And my teammates who are at that 
maturity level and they're having a family and they're kind of, you know, opening their eyes to things that go on in the world and things that, you know, we're often in the bubble playing football, especially in the NFL. And that kind of just popped their bubble a little bit and gave them a little bit of perspective of what, of what really goes on. So everyone was really positive um, in terms of how they said the talk went. And so it was it was good getting back to Ashburn and hearing, hearing their reviews, for lack of a better word. Yeah, last question I'll ask you specific to the work um, in STE before we get to, you know, not necessarily just on the field commander stuff, but, you know, coaches and, and influential people, why you why you choose this avenue to to connect with with young people. But what's the breakthrough moment for you and, and you think for your teammates and coaches like we all know that there are issues in, in our world, in our country, in our communities um, around sexual violence, around domestic violence. Um, and, and we can see statistics and we go, wow, that's that's really bad. But what is it about the way that the work is approached with Brenda and what connected with you and, and, and same thing with your teammates that you think? makes people have this this kind of switch get flipped compared to just another news story, another statistic? Yeah, I think it's two things, uh, really. One, it's Brenda's personal narrative. Um, she tells about talks about her experience, things she's been through. Um, and I think that really resonates because oftentimes you kind of get lost in numbers on a board. It's a oh, 70%, 60%, and there's no visualization of what that actually looks like. Um, and then secondly, uh, our approach here at SE is that men are the solution to the problem. And I think that's a very different approach versus, you know, you know, it's, it's your fault, men's fault, you have to do better. It's, it's more of an empowerment approach of, you know, we believe that if women could solve the issue of sexual violence, obviously they would, just like if a black person could solve racism, we would. Like, it's, it, it's simple, right? Like, it's not on the oppressed to, to fix their oppression. It's just not how it works. Um, in terms of the power dynamics. So I think having that approach of saying, you know, we know men are the solution is a very unique approach and that really resonates well with a group of men. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I've sat through like hundreds of these kind of talks, you know, and it's very rare that people kind of, it speaks to them, you know, because it is very kind of at arm's length. And, you know, you mentioned her personal experience and maybe her call to action is a little bit different, but is there something specific about the presentation that, I don't know, like that engages the guys in a special way because like it's very rare in, in my experience for anybody to come out of those things with anything but like, man, that was a waste of time. No, absolutely. I, I think for her, it's, it's definitely the personal narrative is uh, the engaging part, the hook, for lack of a, a better way. Um, if you don't know, uh, Brenda's a survivor of uh, gang rape from uh, Oregon State football players. Oh. So. She, t- she walks you through that that whole experience and it's it's horrific it's it makes your stomach hurt like if if you're a person with any humanity like it, it actually pains you and then to go from that to so with all that being said I know that yo you men in the room are the solution it's you're not expecting that right like you're kind of leaning away like oh here it comes we're finna get smacked in the back of the hand it's finna be a lot of finger pointing and then she instead turns around and you know embraces you and engages you and pulls you in and say hey like you can ensure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. Like you, you have that power and that influence in this room. And I think that's a very unique approach. And it, okay. I mean, I've always seen it work really well. Yeah, definitely. And if you want more information, set the expectation.org on STE, just incredible work um, that James and uh, Brenda and, and the whole crew is doing. I am a little biased. My wife works with uh, James and, and that group as well, but like it is, is really a remarkable, incredible, um, and like James said, different approach that that does help empower folks to be the solution to these problems um, in a way that does really connect with with 
uh, as even athletes in a way that's very different, uh, like Logan was saying, to a lot of the presentations and things that are put forth uh, in those types of talks. Uh, so, James, the camp um, specifically, obviously, there will be the component from Brenda, you know, an, a, a much more scaled down. You're talking to, to younger kids mm-hmm. uh, version of, you know, hey, this is about what it means to be healthy, uh, a healthy leader in your community, uh, masculinity, all those kinds of things. But uh, a football camp for this age group, like, why is that something that you wanted to do in terms of the football side of it, of, of like, you know, did you try to figure out like which kids can have the biggest impact on seventh to 12th right. graders? Like what's the, what's the hook there? Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I think for me, it's a little bit easier. Um, when kids are younger, <laughs> do a lot of wrangling and uh, I would like more instruction than the wrangling. So I, I, I you're a defensive guy. Wrangling's what you do. Come on. Right, right, right. I think that's why we went seven to 12 because it's a little bit easier to actually give instruction to help them grow with, with the skill set versus, you know, if we have children there, it's going to be like, okay, run over the backs, run this way, run that way. And just trying to keep them engaged by running around for, you know, the, the time on the field. But Do you also, have any distinct – or go, go ahead, Logan. No, I was going to say, I also think it's probably helpful for the message of the camp too, right? Because those kid, kids kind of going into like adolescence and puberty, right? Like not only is it better to coach those kids, trust me, like do a lot of training with young kids. Like those young kids are tough. But, you know, <laughs> it's also a time where they are probably more ready for, you know, what it means to be a man, right? Because you're kind of going through yeah. that high school experience. So I bet you that's really, really powerful for them also. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a population in high school and middle school. If you're on the football team, you have a, a good amount of clout just for the yep. nature of being on the football team. So that's a good group to get to and kind of help them, you know, set a standard for themselves. And, you know, that will have a lot of impact over the school, probably adopting that standard and, and, you know, holding themselves accountable to it. Were there any camps or, you know, kind of formative experiences you remember from, you know, middle school, high school coaches or mentors that really impacted you? Yeah, I think for me, um, my biggest, I think when I got to high school, that's when I kind of saw all my mentors. Um, I met my mentors as coaches. Um, I had a defensive line coach who played at the University of North Carolina and played professionally for a little bit. And uh, Jamaica Banks, who I still talk to to this day, and, you know, he really kind of helped me shape what it is to be a man coming from a single parent household like myself, right, having that male uh, mentor and leadership role being one of my coaches was, was really helpful. That's great. I mean, like, that's kind of similar to my experience, too. Like, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because you're kind of going through this formative change, right? You just get, like, these, you know, like, I've, I've come from a two-family home, but, like, my high school football coach is someone I still talk to fairly yeah. regularly, you know? And, like, I can't say that about any of my other coaches. And it is because yeah. it's kind of this big transition phase in your life. So, you know, do you have any motivation to kind of, through these camps, kind of develop a mentorship role for these kids? Or is this more like we're kind of providing resources for like a one-time thing or is there like a longer vision potentially? There's definitely a longer vision. I would love for this to be a, a series of camps, right? And sure. not just be a deal. Um, in terms of mentorship role, it's it's hard for me to to give my time to, to kids I don't know on a one-to-one level, right? Sure. But I, I definitely, when I'm there, I'm, I'm happy to pass on any knowledge, you know, yeah. come back to high schools. Like I, I do love the DMV and anyone who comes to the camp, I'm happy to come to their high school. I'm happy to you know, engage in what they have going on in the community, right? So so I think for me, it's it's definitely a vision of it being more than one-off thing and it being a partnership that we can continue throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
one one thing that I think is interesting too, James, this kind of is a combo of the camp and, and the work, right? Is, you know, in talking to you and, and talking to Rachel about some of the things in the past, like that you've done, one of the things that, that comes back is that you keep showing up. And, you know, whether it is something where, you know, it, it okay, yeah, you can't, give one-on-one -on -one time and attention to every kid that comes to the no. camp over the long term, right? You can't have that like, Hey, I'm, yeah, text me anytime relationship. That's just unfeasible for a camp where there might be a hundred kids. If you do this camp every year and you keep coming back, um, in the same way that when you, you go to a shelter and like, Oh yeah, Hey, James is coming back. Like there's, there's something there for the kids. Is that, can you talk about that a little bit more? I know that's not, that's the worst question. Yeah. My journalism professors want to fire me into the sun <laughs> for how poorly this right, is formed. But right, like, right. can you talk a little bit more about that? Like the power yeah. of that, um, and, and, and what kind of feedback you receive when you continue to go back to similar places and, and continue the work as opposed to parachuting in and then never yeah. being seen again? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's definitely, you know, showing up when you show up for the, a shelter or, or children or the families is, is building that rapport with them, that trust that, okay, he's actually here to help. He actually cares about us. There's a level of care and, and trust that's built. And I think that is um, irreplaceable because a lot of these kids who are in the shelters who are experiencing, you know, uh, DV and, and, and sexual assault potentially, right, like they don't. Oftentimes, they don't have a male role model that they know to be positive, right? So whether it be um, girls in the shelters and they have a fear of men because all the men they've been around have tried to hurt them, or it's men that's helping break that, that cycle of abuse because they saw their father hit their mother, so they think that's their expectation of what it is to be a man. So I, I think for me, showing up is important because then I can build the trust and relationship with these, these, these children and these families, and even the women that are in the shelters who... You know, they're, they've been in that show because they've been displaced by violence, oftentimes by a man, right? Nine out of ten times, nine and a half out of ten times. So showing them that there's men out here who aren't violent, who care, who want to help. I mean, that, I think that changed the entire dynamic of the family. Um, so yeah. showing it's just, I mean, it's that's the most important thing is just being there. If you can just be there, that's that beats anything else. Yeah. And just, just, uh, to kind of underscore, um, the camp is for everyone, right? It's, it's not, you know, you don't have to have been uh, directly affected by these issues to, to have your kid come to the camp. Um, this, this is a football camp. Um, it just happens to have a component that you're going to talk about some things that you might not at a normal football camp. That's hopefully going to help make, make the DMV a little bit better and safer community for all of us. Um, and, but, uh, definitely, I think that concept of showing up, you know, this is hopefully the first of, of an annual type of thing. Um, you know, yeah. James, James will be there next year and the year after that and the year after that. And you, know, you build those relationships that way. Um, actually, I'm gonna ask both of you real quick, and then let's get to, to commander stuff. If you had to pick one person, whether it could be high school, college, you know, whatever, someone you met at a camp, someone you played for directly, who has been the biggest football influence on your life? Biggest football influence. So I think there's a couple different ways to like approach the question. I think for yeah. me, I have a handful just because I have two high school coaches that I think really inspired me to believe in myself that I could continue playing at the next level. And my defensive line coach and my head coach, and they were there along the way, kind of guided me through the process. And then I had a uh, defensive line coach. Um, my first couple of years in college, his name is uh, Ryan Nelson, who's now the DC for the Falcons, I believe, or the Saints, maybe one of the two. Uh, he, <laughs> I should figure that out, James. 
I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But um, when I was in college, um, he he rode me like no other. Like it was like I used to dread being around him, and and now. Um, seeing where I am now and the skill stuff he kind of helped me develop and grow. I'm very appreciative of our time together. Um, so I think those are probably like my three from a, a purely football um, standpoint. Then I had another coach, Kevin Patrick, my last couple of years there who was also an amazing coach. And I think for me, it's always been defensive line coaches. That's That's been who's really shaped me and molded me the most. Uh, Ryan is with the Falcons now, by the way. Just to Falcons. Pocket, pocket that. You had it right the first time. You shouldn't have doubted yourself. Uh, but he was Ryan, Saints. Ryan I don't know. Falcons. Yeah, LSU Saints. He, he's really taken off since his time at Old Little NC State. <laughs> <laughs> Logan, what about you? Who, uh, for me, for you? yeah, for me, it's my high school football coaches, and it's like you know that cool staff because like I was like a I was playing soccer growing up, you know, and like football was something my dad signed me up for when I got to high school. So that I have friends, so I didn't even know like any of the positions. I didn't know anything about football. And so these guys, like, they, they pushed me hard. They they put me in positions where I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself, but they had a lot of confidence in me, and I grew as a player and I grew as a man. And basically, like, they got me a scholarship. You know, I had to play football, but they, like, really, you know, promoted me and, and gave me that opportunity. And then obviously, like, over the course of my career, I've made excellent friendships and, and built fantastic relationships with coaches, and they've all impacted me, you know, strength coaches, trainers, like everybody, right? But those, I'd say, is like a foundational piece. Those guys really just did an outstanding job just showing me what it took and uh, giving me the confidence to, like, continue down this path. So 100% those high school coaches. You know, it's Thanks, not man. that you were a soccer kid with the No, no surprise. Yeah, no, yeah, soccer kid with no friends. I mean, it's, it's you know, you've worked with me. You understand. Like, I'm not the – I'm a little bit of an awkward guy. So imagine it being like magnified by a thousand when I was in like middle school and high school. So I get it. You're just Casey Two Hill Senior. I get it. Casey Two Hill Senior, and that's <laughs> that's not a bad thing, man. You know, try hard white guys. We got a spot. You know, look, look, they, very important, very important. Yeah, very important. Is Casey, was Casey also a soccer guy? No, James is just mocking Casey because he thinks Casey's weird, which is not unfair to Casey because you guys are supposed to be friends. So be nice to Casey. We are we're brothers. That's why I can mock. <laughs> You will hear this and laugh, but maybe he'll never hear it. Man. I don't know, but he did. Hear it. Yeah, Casey too, a frequent podcast listener. Yeah, uh, he maybe he you don't know. He definitely is. He definitely. Uh, he's Twitter's tough. Here's here's he's what tough. I can guarantee: if he is, we're gonna hear about this one. Yeah, no doubt. This no is doubt. kind of a test case. This is a this is a test balloon. This is a canary in a coal mine. Logan, we haven't used that phrase yeah, in a while. You got to bring that back. That's like one of your go tos. So it's good. Yeah, good, it is. good. It makes a, an appearance here. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball has been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. All right, Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Our guest today, James Smith-Williams, defensive end from the Commanders. So let's talk a little Commanders football, uh, the, the thing that uh, most people have been waiting for. Uh, of course, I hope you everyone take, took in the first part of the pod. Uh, great stuff and appreciate you for sharing all that, James, with us. Um, let's just let's start broad. Like, what'd you make of the spring, uh, the, the new practice structure and, and everything that EB brought on the offensive side that kind of uh, shaped how the team came together? And, and how'd you feel like your spring went? Yeah, um, I think holistically, it's it's been a, a great change. Um, I think historically in football, DCs are usually the ones, defense coordinators are usually the ones who are, you know, yelling, screaming, really high standards, go, 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 high tempo. I think that's always been the DC role. So it's been nice to look over on the other field and see EB getting after them and screaming and holding them to a really high standard. It's It's been a, a nice change for me as a defensive player. Um, but he's... The offense has been great. Uh, they've been humming along. Um, you definitely see the systems getting in place. And I think for me, it was a great spring. I think this year was more of a, a focus on individual, um, on fundamentals, on technique, and not so much, you know, getting after, getting after it when we're doing good on good work. It's more been more cooperative, trying to both learn the plays and both they're trying to install their system. So it's it's been a really productive spring. Is that challenging for you? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of guys that handle their off seasons very, very differently. You know, OTA specifically, minicamp now, especially with the new CBA. Has it been tough, like not seeing any run looks? Has it been tough, you know, not getting any live pass rushes? Like, how's that been for you? Oh, uh, you know, I, I think the no live pass rushes is is fine. I think that's okay. We'll get the camp. We'll kind of knock, knock the dust off. No run looks will be interesting. Yeah. Um, to see how that shakes out when camp comes. I've been used to taking, like, just getting off the ball. I know it's a pass. I'm, I'm just racing up the field and we right. go from there. Um, so I think, you know, when it's run, I have to reel it in a little bit. Um, it will, it'll be a little bit of a change and a little bit of adjustment period. But, you know, camp's very long. We'll have pads on. So, you know, it's not like I haven't played the run for a long time at this point. So we'll get back to the groove of things. It'll be nice. It'll be funny that, you know, the first time that, they run a run play in, in fall camp. I, I assure you the defensive line will be 80 yards up the field. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to rein it back in from there. Because you've essentially had like, what is it? I'd say approximately like 175 pass rush reps during OTAs and minicamp. You know what I mean? And it's just there's been no other looks. There's been no other kind of changes. And so in terms of like the mental load, like I, I personally think fitting a run is harder than rushing the pass rusher. Like where are you guys at yeah. with that? And how much time yeah. have you spent on it? Yeah, I mean, we, we still talk about it um, in the it's film good, it's, room. It's good, it's good you talk about it. That's important. Yeah, yeah. We still, <laughs> it. We still, we still drilled in it, and we did our, our run stuff. It wasn't straight pass. We just spent a lot of time on, you know, hand placement, you know, striking the bag, you know, six-inch steps, good pad level. Like we, we st we're still discussing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, when we get to camp, it, we'll be knocking the rest off for sure, yeah. but – 
I mean, if that's their offensive philosophy, they want to sling the ball around, whatever they want to do, I, I don't really know. I don't remember when we played KC all those years ago, how they approached it. Um, obviously, Patrick Mahomes changes things, right? Um, but, yeah, I'm full confidence in, in that staff. Obviously, they're winners, and, I mean, what else do you want? Yeah. Uh, the training training camp exists for a reason, and it is so long. It's It was so long as a reporter sitting down there in Richmond covering it, nevertheless, as yeah. you guys actually being out there. Don't worry. Uh, we have a joint practice with the Ravens. I know like, they like to run the ball. So yeah. we get a lot of practice. You get a lot of looks, man. I, I do. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I have a client that I, that works for that sent me some clips, and I was like, is this your practice? And he goes, yeah. And it was like nine on seven, team run, like four on four, pod drill. And I was like, dang bro like you guys are really kind of going in a completely different direction than uh than the old washington commanders at the moment so yeah. put your mouthpiece yeah. in james okay, it's gonna be a long day yeah don't worry let's go to the ravens with pullers and the fullback sets and lead blockers it's, we're gonna get a lot of run looks we're we'll not the best off yeah as long Real as you're ready quick. for uh for yeah. mid-september that's all that matters um yeah, exactly. you, you mentioned something though that i think is interesting because we have obviously uh spent a lot of time talking about sam uh and the quarterback position and trying to evaluate it the best we can given the circumstances of it being otas no pads no run plays etc but when you talk about you know hey i know as soon as the ball snapped it's pass i'm up the field like how different is that for you guys defensively and how much harder do you think it was for the other side of the ball to play considering you guys did not have to even think about the the run, nevertheless, respect it? Yeah. I mean, for us, it's, it's totally different. Um, depending on the team we're playing right week by week, game plan schemes, um, it's not often that we're just like, Oh, it's passed. And if it's not passed, we'll go from there. So the spring's definitely been very different. Um, so that's that's been a different approach, and for the offense, it's been probably way more hard because we're not respecting like your play action pass blocking. We haven't ran the ball, so why would I respect the play action pass, right? So I'm <laughs> gonna, and they're short setting, and I'm gone because this is good, not a run block. So yeah. uh, it's been hard for them, and they've they've offensive lines had some complaints about what are you guys doing? You don't play the run anymore. I'm like, why would yeah, I why ever? would you? Yeah, <laughs> why would I play the run for what reason? When I ran the ball? <laughs> So we've had that conversation uh, in the day. We've got a good work in together, and we've all enjoyed the spring, I think, a lot, yeah. And so, like, what's the, uh, you know, obviously kind of people are in and out during OTAs and minicamp, and that's way different than when I was playing. Obviously, everyone was here kind of all the time, building mm -hmm. that fellowship, building that camaraderie, and also kind of getting into the defense. How is it when guys are kind of, you know, you had a trip, you left for a little bit, right? You came back. Mm -hmm. Like, how has that been? How has that you know, maybe you don't know anything different, but how is how is that kind of group coming together, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we benefit from playing together for all of us now. I've been there for four years, yeah. uh, except for the rookies. Um, we've all played together the entire time, so I know how John plays. I know how Payne plays. They know how I play. They know how Casey plays. They know how Tess plays, Chase plays. Like, we all know how each other plays. Sure. Um, so there's not a lot being missing in that regard. And obviously fall camp, that stuff will click into place quickly. And um, for me, I mean, I think for us to be professionals at, at this level, I don't really care what you do as long as on Sundays you play well. And I think that's where it matters, where anyone cares about. So, yeah. Um, there's been a, uh, obviously a lot of talk among, 
us uh, us media types about all the contracts, uh, Montez and Chase specifically. But you and Casey also are entering your contract years. Like, is that something that you know? Like, I'm not gonna say is it on your mind ever because, like, of course it is. You're a human <laughs> right, being. Right. If duh, wait, like, money. I, Future? I'm, I'm one year into my two year yeah. deal. I'm I'm like, ah, contract year. Better do yeah. some good radio shows for yeah. the next 12 months. Like that's that's of course. I guess that what I would ask though, James, is like, when does it enter your mind? Is it any like when you're on the practice field, are you completely free of it? If you make a mistake, you're like, oh no. Like how how and when does that play into the psychology of being a professional football player? Yeah. And Logan, obviously you have experience with this as well, if you want to to touch on that. So I mean I, I can't speak to the season part. I haven't gotten there yet, but I think for me it's it's more so been the motivation and a little fuel to the fire in terms of laying the foundation, right? So my approach to practice is going to be really sharp and really crisp. My my workouts now, how I train and, and my downtime, you know, do I want that, I don't know, piece of, uh, do I want a bag of French fries or should I probably eat some greens, right? Like it's it's the little decisions that I think it affects more for me. Um, I've never made a mistake and been like, oh, no, um, this is a contract year. I shouldn't have made that right. Like it's it's I think it's one of those things like there's 32 teams out there and, you know, someone's going to value what you do differently than someone else. Right. So uh, there's no use in, in worry about the mistakes. You got to play free and, and get some production going. I think that's the, the best approach to have. Yeah. And for me, like, I don't know, I was so close to it. Like I was so worried about the day to day, those small decisions that James was referencing. I didn't really have time to think like big picture because I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can, honestly. Like, I mean, like maybe mid-year, you're like, man, I only had, you know, or like I only had 10 catches or something like that, or I only had five sacks or whatever, whatever that number is. You're like, man, maybe I need to kind of reevaluate what I'm doing. But like big picture, like it's just it's the little decisions. It's like eating an elephant one bite at a time and eventually it gets you to your goal, hopefully. And, you know, I played a long time and I had a couple of years where it didn't get me my goal. And I was like, man, got to reevaluate this sucker. So it's just part of the deal. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh it's an important part of the game, but can't let it consume you because it makes you play tight. It makes you play less effective. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In the moment, you got to live in the moment. And then yeah. hopefully in, in January, I get one of uh, the pains uh, sign the check celebration. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such an interesting and like great answer, though, that you we just don't hear athletes talk about often because it's, it's not like you line up on third and seven. You're like, I got to get the sack here yeah. so I get the contract. But it's it's, you know, the little things along the way where you you could maybe lose focus. You could maybe let yourself slip a little bit. And it's like, nope, like, hey, I've got a purpose here. And it, it, that that sense of urgency, I think, is elevated. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. Winning winning would definitely help out. Um, oh, look at you. True. Yeah, people who get paid are people come from winning teams. And, you know, it doesn't, help, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to win. It never hurts to win. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. Um, last thing for me and then Logan, anything else you want to add on the way out? But um, for you, if people want to know like what it's like in that D line room with all those personalities, uh, with, with all that talent, with everything going on there, how would you, how would you describe the D line room? Um, it depends on time of year, time of day. Every day is different. Um, it is a lot of personality. It's a lot of talent. It's a lot of jokes, a lot of laughter at the day, right? Like it's all of that stuff's enjoyed when we're winning, right? So, uh, when we went on that run, that room was a lot of fun. Um, we're always a lot of fun, but it's, 
it's all predicated on us winning and having success. As long as that stuff's going well, then we're all cool to lay around and joke and cut up and have a good time. It's a, it's a great room, though. I don't know if there's any other room like ours in, in the league. <laughs> Especially. <laughs> A lot of big, a lot of big personalities there. Yeah. And so, okay, how about this? You know, obviously contract year. What's like, what's some goal, like goal, like you do you set goals early in the season and what is maybe one of those that you'd like to share and just kind of, what are you doing to get there? Yeah, I, I have tangible goals. I have a goal board. Um, you know, for me, I have a couple of markers in terms of pass rushing, pressures, hits, you know, things like that, because end of the day, you are aware of, of what it takes to get you sure. where you want to go. Uh, you know, you look at like, six or seven sacks, you know, you know, 25, 30 QB hits. But it's it's also one of those things, too, where it's a my my role is shifting on the team, right? With, with Chase coming back, you know, reps look different. So there's a lot of different, you know, things that I have to play out and, and variables that I'll have to go through and experience as the season goes. There's definitely some tangible things I definitely want to get done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck with those, man. And, you know. Yeah. Good luck with the camp too. Lots of lots of lots of, you're busy, man. You went to Korea. You did a whole bunch of stuff, man. I feel like you're never uh, your head's never on the pillow, really. No, not not often, not often, man. But uh, that's how I like to live. So I got no complaints about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if you want more information on the camp, setthexpectation.org. You want to sign up? Info at setthexpectation.org, and we hope to see uh, kiddos out there July fifteenth. James, appreciate the time on the pod. Uh, enjoy the rest of your off-season, and uh, I guess I'll see you a couple weeks at the camp. All right, man. Sounds great. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. Wrapping up the Take Command podcast, I am Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Thanks again to James Smith Williams for joining us. Uh, if you're watching this final segment on YouTube, you missed the interview with James Smith Williams. So make sure you watch the full episode at youtube.com slash at 1067 the fan. All right, Logan. Uh, we got a great idea for silly season as someone, someone who's a frequent listener to the pod tweeted and it was like, Hey, since it's silly season time where we're just doing, doing whatever we can think of to make right. these episodes interesting, uh, in the absence of, you know, actual substantive news, um, what would happen in a tournament of teams from the time that we cover, right? So from yeah. the time that you're drafted, uh, to basically now what's the best, you know, Washington, football team that has existed um and i think they started it in 2012 i don't think anyone's going to be better in you know, 2010 2011 teams not better than 12 right so let's just let's just go through year by year and they wanted to rank it i just i want to figure out who's the best one um yeah. you know like in a hypothetical tournament they play each other so i think we just use the bracket method yeah. so bracket method like basically if you're at a restaurant you can't decide what you want to eat you, you take you take the the first option that that you want say it's uh -huh. a, a chicken salad and you put it next to the the burger it's like do i want the chicken salad or the burger i want the i want the burger okay the burger advances and you just keep doing that down the menu you, and you, you do that when you go eat <laughs> get out no, of here no but it's a, I, it's a uh, yeah, way I, I got it's you. a way I to see, do I it see. i got you uh, if you're getting it's a like... real bind it's like what it's a way to find if you really want so let's start off with the 2012 team and that's probably going to stay uh un, unchallenged yeah. at least here for a couple years but 2012 uh, team, obviously, star of that team is Logan Paulson. Uh, I mean, he's I there. think we all could agree that. Yeah, I yeah, really just, was the backbone of that team. 
you know, carried everybody. Robert Griffin was really just hanging on my coattails the whole time. Tough deal for him, but you know, someone had to do it. So. Yeah. Yes. I mean, good job for him for, can, I'm never, I'm just not, I'm just not going to get us in trouble. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Robert's Robert's rookie year, um, incredible magical season. Um, you know, you got, uh, Alvin Morris rushing for a thousand yards. You got real talent on the outside. I mean, didn't Garcon. he rush for like 1600 that year? Was that the year he rushed yeah, for like I mean, 16? it was, he's a monster. Year. Was I, I said a thousand to be conservative, uh, yeah. to, to, because I didn't know the actual number, but monster, monster year. You know, Trent's killing people on the offensive line. That whole offensive line is really good in general. Um, yeah. You got London Rush for like eight hundred yards. Yeah, like yeah. We were, we were that that team was really good. And so the, what I want to bring up is like from a record standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, that team's going to be really hard to beat. However, I was wondering, like, to get your thoughts on it, and listeners, if you guys want to leave comments, we'd love to hear them. Like, how does yeah. that offense translate now when, like, we're kind of in this um, positionless football where you get more DBs on the field, you get guys with more speed that can match up with that RPO? And I know Robert was fast, but, like, Devin White, for example, you know, in Tampa Bay runs a 4-3. Like, these linebackers are a different breed of animal. Montez Sweat runs a 4-4. Like, how, did, how, does that, and how does that offense translate to this level? And I think – um, that, that to me is a really interesting thought experiment just because like back then, like we were playing base defenses, we were playing teams that had never, never, like it was so cutting edge at that time. Defenses had no idea what was going on. We were seeing a lot of cover three, no one would blitz us. Everyone was scared to death to play out of a gap. It allowed us to play super fast and just be ballers. I mean, now that scheme has become more prevalent. Defenses have figured it out. Do that, does that team have the same success now? And it's kind of one of those things like, does a player from the past have the same success now? But right. it's, it's something I wanted to pose to you guys. Like, what, what you thought on that? Yeah, it's hard. Like, we do this in basketball all the time. And it's like, well, you know, who's actually a better basketball player? Like, Stephen Curry or Magic Johnson or whatever. And it's like, well, if Magic Johnson came up in the modern times, he probably would have figured out how to shoot a three-pointer. So just going like, well, yeah. Steph shoots threes. Now, Steph shoots threes, but it's a bad example because Steph's yeah. the best shooter ever on the history of the planet. But, like, he came up, that was his, his thing. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so it's it's a great question. I don't know how much we want to factor that in versus kind of their relative greatness yeah. within their, you know, the context in which and they maybe existed. That's, maybe that's it's, another it's episode a great, for Silly Season. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really great. Like how, because I'm sure there's also other things that were advantageous in terms of the way they played versus, you know, problems that could present to defenses now but it is you know worth pointing out that like as kyle's offense has proliferated the league in in some way or another like this in many ways is the genesis of it like this sure. uh, what kyle has continued to build in all of his stops in various forms you know he yeah, was very successful with matt ryan in atlanta who's not running zone read but some of the concepts and some of the the big picture type of things the way he thinks about manipulating defenses really come into form in this 2012 team um yeah. so yeah it's it's a really interesting question i don't know if i even remotely answered it um yeah. but, but we, we can, can we can go as we go through we can i, I think what could be fun for this this exercise is to see like Okay, well, when has the league changed where you know we think sure. legitimately that it's a factor? So 2013, that's pretty easy. 2012 team beats the pants off of it because it's a very similar team, except for much worse. Um, <laughs> talent-wise, you know, Robert's hurt. Uh, and and he's, is, also, he's also he's made that bad. Dec declaration that he doesn't want to run the ball anymore. Like we that changed yeah. a lot for us, absolutely. 
Yeah, uh, think, lose. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games to end the year yeah. in a row. Yep, Yikes. tough time, tough time of year that one. Last uh, last game that you guys won in regulation in in 2013 was October 20th. Was it uh, against the Bears? Oh, Bears, yeah, Bears, San Not, Diego. I don't even remember the other one. It was a tough year. Tough year. Yeah, you guys, you guys beat Oakland. You beat the Bears. You beat the Chargers. Chargers was in overtime. It's a tough so, one. Tough, tough, not great. tough deal. Uh, so, yeah, 2014. I think, I think they beat 14 easy, too. I think it, I don't think it means yeah. a different contest. Same kind of thing. Uh, you rotate through all three of the quarterbacks that year. Um, Colt plays some. Kirk plays some. Uh, it's Jay's first year. Robert obviously plays some. Um, and, and yeah, again, like you win a couple early, uh, but but ultimately you don't win a game. And uh, you don't win a game in November for the second straight year. You win the second to last game against the Eagles uh, to get to four, uh, but that's a four and 12 team. Then there's a fun one. Then there's 2015. So this team starts off very up and down. You have the code red game, Tampa win against Tampa, go into the bye week at three and four. What's really funny. and, And honestly, I momentarily forgot about this, even though I covered this team. They lose to New England coming out of the bye, and you're three and five. You beat New Orleans. You alternate wins and losses going into Chicago on December 13th, and then you win every game in December. Uh, you win four in a row before ultimately losing the Green Bay in the playoffs. You know, this is Kirk uh, throwing to to probably the best wide receiver group that you've had in this time. Pierre's still excellent. Um, you have... Uh, Obviously, Deshaun, Jordan Reed is an absolute monster this yeah. season. Chris Thompson's very effective. Um, There's just just a lot of good football players. Jameson Crowder is a rookie. Um, you had a good special teams that year. Andre Roberts yeah. took a kick or two back. Um, I think 2015 through versus 2012 is, is pretty interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> I'd say that's the best offensive line they've had here in the last yes. 20 years. <clears throat> that is like the closest it's been to the hogs. Like I remember I was in Chicago at the time and we played them and I remember mm-hmm. watching them in warmups and watching the game from the sideline and just the level of protection, the physicality that, that group played with. Um, and then the dynamic playmakers you had on the outside was just, was next level. Like that's Bill Callahan before he's got everybody banged up, you know, like everyone's kind of at the peak of their powers. They're all molding into something. And I really think the, the limiting factor there. A is probably defense a little bit, and then B would be Kirk Cousins has not quite hit his stride yet. And uh, that was the thing that really limited that team. I thought there was enough stuff around him to elevate, and he played well. I'm not saying he played poorly. but The second half of that season, he was money. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made that Russell Wilson was the only guy who was better in the last eight games of that season. But I think – Until the the playoffs where he was – he laid an absolute – right. Absolute poop. And like, like I love Kirk, you know, Kirk's an awesome guy, but I think he was still growing into the player that he is today and and, in that season. Right. And you know, the contract negotiations, all that stuff. And so I'm trying to remember the defensive side of the ball there. Like who, like obviously Kerrigan's there. So Um, that was an interesting year because Ionitis is there. um, Well, I mean, the biggest thing was the back seven had a really like interesting year. Um, Breland was really good that year. Um, so you have Bashad on one side, Will Blackman had come in and, and really helped solidify things. D'Angelo Hall was playing safety, which was a little bit hit or miss. Mm. Um, 
you know, they, they were definitely hit or miss in the secondary, like mega hit or miss. Um, but you also had guys, you know, Preston Smith was starting to come into his sure. own a little bit up front. Kerrigan was really solid that year. And a guy who I would say made a huge difference for that team was Will Compton yeah. came in off the practice squad. And Comp kind of got everything organized, and they just were a better defense once he got in there at middle linebacker. Um, and, and, you know, his his knowledge of how to organize everything, his communication definitely helped them in the back end of that year. Um, so before Will Compton was a podcaster, he was a middle linebacker, and that was that and 16 were probably his his best years in the league. Yeah, an underrated football player. Uh, For sure. You know, he's, like, just super smart. I remember – talking to him about run fits one day over lunch and just being like, wow, like the level of detail you have and understanding of how everything fits in this defense and getting guys lined up deserves a lot of credit. Um, if I was going to say, um, I would have to give the edge to 2012. I just think, I think Robert, so Robert was playing better. Alfred was, I got the peak of his powers. Like that offensive line was perfect for that scheme. Um, the playmakers on the outside were tough, gritty, like, especially like if you look at the last half of 12, when they were really rolling before Robert got hurt, um, like it's hard to match. Like they had such momentum. They were so skilled. Kyle was calling great games. And I just think when I'm comparing quarterbacks, I want Robert in 2012 as opposed to Kirk in 2015 to lead the team. And I think um, if they're going head to head, I don't think that defense has the speed to match up necessarily with that 2012 team uh, offensively. And I think that I think that 2012 defense is very underrated. They had a lot of good football players, Brian Arakbo, Ryan Kerrigan, um, Bowman, uh, uh, Barry Cofield was in there. Like Fletch was still balling. The back end yeah. was doing okay. Like it was a very, very, very solid group. So, so what's interesting is there's an argument to be made that on paper the 2016 team is better. Yeah. Um, record wise, they were not um, in part because they tied a game, the London Bengals game. That is one that is still just impossible to <laughs> just. I, I can't believe they tied that football game. Sure. Anyway, um, Kirk throws for nearly 5,000 yards in 2016. Mm. Deshaun and Pierre are both over 1,000. Deshaun, by the way, 1,000 yards, 1,005 to be exact, on 56 catches. Yeah, he averaged 17-9 a reception that year. Um, play, And he played, by the way, in 15 of the 16 games. So it wasn't like he was hurt all the time. Uh, Crowder was, was still very good. He had 847 Jordan played in 12 games. So still pretty solid, but like Vernon had come in, he was a yeah. 500 yard receiver, you know, Chris Thompson's another 349 receiving. So they were slinging it all over the place. Um, and there's an argument to be made that I think that was a better team offensively, at least in 2016 defensively was a, a bit of a, uh, an up and down to say the least sure. um you know mason had come in at that point and mason and comp were i, I think pretty solid as middle linebackers they both were had, had over 100 tackles you know breland though was not as effective as he was the year before because they bring in josh norman who 16 might have been his best year in dc um but he wasn't obviously the guy that everyone thought they were getting you know will had kind of shifted to safety at that point blackman talking about d'angelo had, had made his way out um, and there just wasn't a lot of depth on that team. And, and I, I'd still, I'd still take 12, but I do think it's an interesting team. Cause that to me is like the biggest underachieving team of the Gruden era was 16. Yeah. And by uh, the way, it's the last year that Sean's here. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I think, um, you know, one thing I forgot about 15 is like, how do you match up with Jordan Reed? You know, if you're defensively doing that, that'd be a tough matchup. Um, 
but yeah, man, I just, I don't know. That, that offense was cooking. That O-line was excellent. It'd be interesting. And you mentioned kind of underachieving. Like, 12, 2012 team, that team is a, an overachieving team. Bunch of overachievers, right? Guys kind of trying to make a name for himself. And for whatever reason, I just, I bet on overachievers, I guess. You know what I mean? Teams yeah. that are going to reach, reach hard, dig deep, and kind of grind it out. So I think that team might be more talented, the 16 team, especially offensively. Uh, but I think the thing that was really, um, really stood out to me was just like having been a part of the 2012 team, like they were so, it was just a bunch of tough, hardworking guys and they would squeak out wins when it, you know, kind of like the, they were way better. And I'm counting myself in this cause I was on that team way better than the sum of their parts, you know, yeah. way better. And I think like, if I'm going to put a bet, I'm going to bet on that team. I think the thing that also is missing between 12 and 16, the leadership of a guy like Fletch, yeah. that that those 15 and 16 teams didn't really have that guy. And, you know, something that was talked about, like as Kedrick made his way out, as, as yeah. Zoe wasn't brought back, like as London retired, deal. like yeah. there was a, a void of leadership that I think was really necessary. And you had guys like Terrence Knighton who came in and underachieved and like were thought like, oh, is he going to be a leader? And it's like, no, that guy doesn't really have that that tool in his toolbox right. uh, even though he's a vet so there's a <clears> lot a of that point. in 15 16 um and it was like, a young coaching staff too um, yeah because mike and, and so mike did a great job of like i just think about everybody like uh, josh morgan pierre garçon yeah guys that were those guys were leaders uh santana moss still around right uh Corey yeah, you kind of got the sense being around that like pierre was over it at by 15 16 yeah. he was like i don't want to deal with this crap anymore yeah and so i i guess think like like that leader, that's a really good insight there, Craig, because it's like that leadership element. It, it leads to that toughness. It leads to that competitive edge. You know, Kedrick, Zoe, those guys are like, talk about intangibles off the charts. And the, and the Reed Dowdy's, I think he's on that team still. Like th yeah. those teams are just laden with guys who are good leaders and guys that are just incredibly hard workers. And I think the team reflects that. And um, and so I think, you know, if there's one criticism of the roster construction in 15 and 16, is like you said, you let some of those guys walk. And I understand they're in the kind of the twilight of their career, but you didn't do a good job replacing that leadership or empowering guys to step hold. And you end up with kind of uh, a super talented roster that's that's going to be disappointing, I think, to a certain yeah, extent. Need, needed some direction. You had a bunch of quiet leaders. You had Kerrigan, you had Trent. Those guys were, weren't going to step up. I mean, unless something went really sideways, weren't going to step up and like say stuff. They yeah. were just going to go about their work. And, you know, you look at them and be like, wow, look at those guys work. But it, it was different than what Fletch and what Zoe and uh, what Kedrick kind of brought and, to the and, table. And to be fair, like I love Jay, like Jay's my guy, you know, and I think he's a brilliant offensive mind. But I think one of his limiting factors was he was not he didn't have a strong enough hand and he didn't have someone on the staff who was a super strong hand in terms of like discipline. Correct. And so I think like. You know, Mike was Mike is a player's coach, but he had guys on staff who like ha like Jim Hazlitt was like not going to let you mess around. Kyle wasn't going to let you mess around, and that that kind of created a, a difficult environment again for for leaders to blossom. And um, you know, like again, I think Jay's a really smart dude. Like I love hanging out with Jay, but I think if I was going to give Jay some feedback, I'd say, hey man could have been a little bit tighter with the grip there at certain points of the uh, Yeah, I, I think Jay said that in the yeah. year since, um, but doesn't help us now. Yeah. All right, 2017, uh, not as good as, as either 16 or 15. Sean had left at that point, yeah. Sean Pierre. That was that was supposed to be the Terrell Pryor, Josh Doxson coming out party, and it didn't yeah. last past training camp. Whoops. Yeah. Uh, 2018, same kind of thing. 
Um, not really a lot to write home about. That's, I mean, that's the Alex Smith year. Um, that, Alex that, to me, that's a big like what if because I think that yeah. team could have been managed effectively, but obviously he gets hurt and it's not the same deal, you know. Yeah, and, and by the way, you know, talking about the leadership, that they bring in Adrian Peterson, he's definitely that. You know, Alex was definitely that, and then when it went sideways because uh, of Alex's injury, like you know, yeah. good, goodbye on that. 2019's an epic disaster. Uh, Jay gets fired. 2020, um, they make the playoffs, so I guess we we real quickly entertain this this thought exercise. Um, but they're not beating the 2012 team. Like you got Alex, Alex playing, you know, really just, I don't even know what to call it. Miracle football. He goes five and one as a starter. Um, and, but he's, he's not really pushing the ball down the field at all. You just don't really know how it's working. Gibson has a pretty solid year as a rookie. Um, but like, I don't know. Could you, do you remember off the top of your head, the, the good skill players on that team. The, I remember that team was kind of um, a little bit of a miracle, you know, like kind of under talented, overachieved, got a little lucky at certain points of the year. That was the year the division was terrible, right? And they kind of yeah, they went it at seven and nine. Yeah, and so I don't think there's really any contest. I think I think outside of I think outside of 2005 or 2015, 2016. The only other team that I would even consider beating them, beating the 2012 team, is this year. And let me give you a good argument as to why. And so I look at the defense right now, and I do not know how that offense functions against this defense. Like they just have so many kind of guys who can play multiple spots in the back end, the speed on the edges, the physicality inside. And, uh, you know, I think the one weakness of this defense is the linebackers, and that's what Kyle is excellent at exploiting. But, you know, Jamin's going into year two. Cody Barton's kind of that hybrid safety. Khalid Hudson's looking good in training camp. Really, the guy to me is Cam Curl, Quan Martin, those guys, and the role they're going to foul. Percy Butler, though that 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 safety nickel Buffalo nickel kind of group of guys we always talk about. Yeah. To me, that is a really really special group of guys, and I don't know how you contend with that offensively. And the only question is like, can this offense or would this offense and Sam Howell? Uh, be able to put up points and with EB like I have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to do something and again like they're pretty talented they're not quite as talented up front as that 2015 team in terms of offensive line skill position players you're you're unmatched almost in that tenure right with Jahan and Terry and Curtis Samuel right like I mean it's probably the best since 16 with Deshaun Pierre and Jameson and then but even then like the backs Yeah, the backs, I think. Well, I mean, you had Jordan and you had yeah, Vernon. I don't know, it's pretty I'm, close. But, but the backs, I think, are significantly better now. But I'm saying, like, that's that's the thing. And so, it's to me, the only the only thing that's even a question is Sam and can he produce? And I think with EB, he can. And the O-line. And can they pass protect against that 2012 offensive line or defensive line? So, um, God, that'd be fun. That Trent, would be a, yeah. Trent and those dudes versus yeah. all of the yeah. all the pass rushers here. Yeah, it'd be really. Too bad we didn't think about asking James about this. Hey, James, do you want to go up against 2012 Trent Williams? Yeah, I don't know if anybody does. Yeah, he was no. pretty good then. But yeah, so I think good. that that so would be. Now. And I know that sounds crazy, like I'm being a homer, but I just look at the roster. And again, it's got to come together. It's still early, but in terms of talent, like it's a pretty talented group right now. Yeah, I agree. I think that the defensive point is great. Um, you you look at the speed they have. That this defense could be really, really good. We'll see. And it could be. Um, it could be. They got to they got to put it together, yeah. but. 
they could, could be really good. All right. That was fun. Uh, if you have any more silly season ideas, tweet me at Craig Hoffman. Uh, you can DM Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Uh, I'm sure there's other ways to get in touch with us. Figure it out. You know, <laughs> use, use the internet. Uh, leave us a comment. Leave, leave uh, a we'll, comment on we'll, the YouTube page. Yeah. That's the yeah. Other um, definitely. It's easier if you leave it on my YouTube page, uh, but it will, we'll ch- I do check the fan comments every once in a while as well. All right. Uh, for Logan, I'm Craig. Thanks for listening. Make sure that if you like this, you hit the like button. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe wherever you're watching or listening right now, and we will see you next week on take command.